think you are. We set all that aside to exalt you. To settle in our hearts that you are greater. That you are the solution. You are the breakthrough. You are the one that causes us to be overcomers, more than conquerors, victors in life because of your greatness, because of your power, because of your grace and your mercy. So we thank you. We do exalt you. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father God, the Almighty God, nothing greater than you, creator of all things, Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God. The performer of all that God is, all that he has, the power of God, made manifest in us through you, Holy Spirit. The holiness of God. The Spirit that causes us to be holy as you're holy. We reverence you. We give you our attention. We give you your due. We exalt you. Magnify you. Glorify you. Holy Spirit, give us that wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of the Godhead that truly our understanding would be opened up to see the fullness and the greatness of your mighty power. What you've called us into, your glorious light, that relationship with you, that we might see our sonship and the inheritance that we have. We might see the manifestation of of your power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And we might see and understand the authority that we now have. As you've been raised from the dead and we raised with you, the power, the authority over principalities and powers that would try to govern our lives, we are no longer subject to them. For we have submitted ourselves to your Lordship. So teach us, lead us, guide us, and as you guide us forward, anoint us for every divine appointment, every situation of life, every meeting, let us know that we carry an anointing to break yokes of bondage, to minister to the sick, to deliver the bound. We have an anointing to declare to others that the debt's been paid by the blood of the Lamb. There's freedom for them. So we thank you, Lord. Thank you that we can gather together. Thank you for teaching us tonight. Thank you for imparting to us by the Word and the Spirit. So we give you the glory. We give you the honor. We give you the praise and thanksgiving for what you will do in every heart and every life in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good evening, church. How are you this evening? Praise the Lord. Well, it's good to see you all. Welcome to Sunday night edition New Creation Church. Why don't you greet three or four people around you, tell them that you're glad that they're here. And uh, youth, you can be dismissed.
Okay. Okay, thanks. Youth, follow them. Good evening once again. Good to see you all. Praise the Lord. I just have a couple of announcements to make in case you weren't here this morning. We'll continue to make this announcement. You can put that slide up there. Uh, August, we've just decided to call August. Instead of a week of camp meeting, we're going to call August our month of camp meeting. And so mark your schedule. You'll want to do this because uh, a few of these are special meetings. So, you know, many times we get down to the week and people are like, now what was that? Where was that? What time was that? And, uh, you know, it gets a little confusing. And so uh, Shekinah Glory will be here on Wednesday night, August the 9th at 7 o'clock. And uh, if you don't know them, uh, you'll want to come. Uh, they've been in ministry about 45 years, have been with us many, many times. A trio, they, they minister in song and uh, uh, minister in the word and uh, minister by moving in the spirit. And so uh, they have an evangelistic uh, anointing on them. People will come and uh, they'll lead people in salvation. And then Saturday, August 19th at 6 p.m. and Sunday, August 20th. At 10 a.m., Todd White is going to be with us, and uh, he is an evangelist that flows uh, with the Spirit of God. He is, um, uh, he's got a powerful, powerful testimony. If you don't know him, you won't want to miss this. Uh, again, 10 o'clock service, just the, the manner in which he, he moves in his ministry. Uh, we just looked at it and said, you know what, to cut off at 9.30 and, and reboot, um, might be difficult in the fashion that he flows in, so we're just going to get together uh, at 10 a.m. So uh, just a normal service for us. If everybody comes from both services to one service, it's going to be pretty full, uh, as well as people who know Todd White who will come. And so you want to mark your calendars. You want to come a little bit early. Uh, you want to be here. Uh, I was able to be in a meeting with Brother Todd. Uh, some of the men were there. We went, he was at a men's conference we were at. And I'm telling you, it was just a, a, an impactful, uh, moving uh, time as he ministered. So you want to be there. And then the following Sunday um, and Monday, Mark Hankins will be with us. And so you don't want to miss that. And so uh, you say, well, that's a lot to be at. But I believe that God's pouring into us right now uh, for that which he has for us. And so there's always preparation time for what uh, God has for you to walk into. There's gifts in the body. And so... Um, Man, I'll just tell you, we're looking forward to it. We trust it'll be a great blessing to you. On regular Sundays, we have meat and potatoes, but sometimes God gets a gourmet meal out to us, and so we don't want to miss that uh, and how that will look. Amen? Well, we want to give you an opportunity. If you weren't here this morning, weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, we want to give you an opportunity to give. If you're making out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. If you're giving by cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. If you're giving by text, the number's up there. If you're watching online, want to participate in giving, you can go to the Give button and uh, jump online with us amongst all the things that we are doing here. Uh, you know, if you were here last week when Addison was here, that we as a church support missions around the world in different facets. 
conference. We have our own missionaries uh, in different places in the world uh, and that we support. And uh, also we support the resources that are going out from Messenger International into all the world. Also, you know, local, because of, of really the resources we have, some big, some small, we support some local ministries outside of the church. Uh, we're able to support Justice Cry, you know, with the new movie, uh, Sound of Freedom. It's a real awareness is with us right now. And Jamie Birdsey has done a great job in the valley of bringing an awareness to that, supporting uh, those who are, are going to rescue people out of uh, trafficking and, and uh, that slavery. And so uh, we're able to support them. Uh, you know, there was just a, a tent meeting. I guess it's still going on tonight. We were able to give resources, chairs to them for that tent meeting because we're the body of Christ. We're a local church body and we come together, but God's called us even out to our valley. And so we support other ministries. We don't always do exactly the same thing. You know, my right hand isn't always doing the same thing as my left foot, but they're not contrary to one another. And so you're supporting more uh, sometimes than you know, uh, not only, you know, way out somewhere else, but the ministry that goes on right here goes on from here, uh, uh, but also reaches some people who God's called to do different things. And so, um, praise the Lord, you're touching lives in many different ways in your giving. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to give and to participate in giving. We so thank you that you have blessed our lives in so many ways that we can't really explain what you've done for us in Christ. That everything that we have belongs to you. Everything that you have belongs to us because of that great covenant. And so we get to, in a measure, worship you and express our understanding of the covenant through our giving. Father, as each one does, I thank you and command the blessings of your word upon each and every one of them, that it comes back to them, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Will men give into their bosom? I thank you the windows of heaven are open, that there's a blessing, that you rebuke the devourer for their sake. I thank you so that things will not be stopped up, but they'll produce as you've ordained. I thank you that no weapon formed against them will prosper, that every tongue that rises against them in judgment, you will condemn. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in and from and through this people for this time in this place that our region of the world might be affected with the light of the glorious gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and pass those buckets. Open your Bibles to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. On Sunday night, we have been going through the book of Ephesians, and uh, we knew on Sunday night there would be some interruptions to that, and so we're taking our time um, as we go through Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter, we are in chapter four, and... Um, as we looked at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, really through 3, we began to see really what Christ has done for us, that he redeemed our life. He's made us accepted in the beloved. And, uh, you know, uh, that phrase, we were uh, talking about that, looking at that. You know, if you've gotten into Addison's book, there's just a tremendous part on the name, the name, and how when Jesus came up out of the water, he said, this is my beloved son. And so we know Jesus, but really God named him as his beloved son. And then he tells us we are the beloved and we're accepted in the beloved. And so there's just something about understanding that God has named you amongst the beloved. In other words, he's loved you in such a way. So Paul brings that recognition to a people who in many ways didn't feel loved. 
they weren't accepted into many different religions and Gnosticism had risen up and, and intellectualism and humanism. And really there were so many people who, who collectively were normal people, as you would say, and they weren't accepted. And one of the things about Jesus coming is he made a way for every single person, for Jew, for Greek, for slave, for free. No matter what your station in life was, God accepted you in the beloved, in, into relationship with God. And so he's making known to them how, how what Jesus did and how that worked and whatever their sin was, he paid the price. He redeemed our life from destruction. And that though we were carried about by the course of this world, we were subject to it by sin. God, in order to satisfy his love for us, sent Jesus so that we would know that it's not our duty, our works that gets us saved, but God's amazing grace. And when we put faith and trust in what Jesus did by grace, we receive salvation. We receive a total change in our life, a transformation that doesn't do away with works, but it does away with dead works, and now really causes life to open up to us to see that the goodness of God's been poured into us, and we can begin to do and live our life working for the goodness of God, not to earn it, but from that place of relationship with God. And so he begins to go into chapter 3, what he's done in manifesting and developing and building the church, and that by the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to principalities and powers. By the church. In other words, what the devil thought couldn't happen, when he crucified Jesus, Jesus raised from the dead and started putting his life in his body, the church, and as we live out that life, he begins to, uh, really the wisdom of God in sending Jesus to be crucified begins to be made known as the church arises, as it links together, as it comes together. And so he ends with that and he prays a prayer for them at the end of all that, that, that uh, he tells us that Christ did, that we would be strengthened through the Spirit in our inner man that we would be rooted and grounded and established in the love of God. And that in that, we would experience a love that passes knowledge and emotion. We would experience the fullness of God. And in that loving relationship, we would realize that we are not half empty. Come on. Come on. That we're not always wanting and in need, but we are filled with all the fullness of God. Even today, if we're not careful as the church, we're like, somebody, so I need something, somebody. You don't know what's happened. I need something, somebody. He says, I want you to know the love of God because if my church understands that they're full of all that I am, all that I have, then there's not an empty place. And his whole design is that we understand it because Paul prayed in, in, in the first uh, chapter as we have at the chapter, but as he's going through this letter, he says, I pray for you that you would have this wisdom, this revelation, this understanding of who Jesus is, what he's done for you. I'm paraphrasing right now. And who you are as sons and daughters and the inheritance that is and the mighty power that he's released towards you as you believe. Miracle working power, authoritative power over all uh, the principalities where Jesus is seated and that Jesus is the head of his church. And his church is designed to be the fullness of him who fills everything, everywhere. So there's a lot of different opinions right now about the church. But Jesus loves his church. He loves his church. People might not love his church, but Jesus loves his church. 
right? And there's the universal church. And then we see these letters, as we use them universally, these letters are written to local churches, local bodies of believers, where they're at in their culture. Again, if you realize, you know, somebody uh, uh, made statements about this, I think last week, and I was in a couple of different places where people made the same reference to this. We've just uh, taken a, a trip to Turkey to see, you know, as they label it, to see the seven churches of Revelation. But I can tell you, we went to Turkey and did not see one church. So it starts to sound real religious, but there's not one church there. Which tells us something we want to be careful to understand when the Lord is speaking to us about the church. And when we drift into the world and he says, come back unto righteousness, or I'll remove your lampstand. Because basically in Revelation, he said, here's the instruction. And if you do these things, you'll be effective in your influence throughout the world. But if you don't, I'll have to remove your influence or your light. And not one of those churches exists today. They're in cities that are in ruin. So it's very interesting to go there, but we're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, you have some really good things going, but there's some things that I want you to understand and know, some things that you can change, some things that, that you can step out in, in holiness, return to your first love, put off sexual immorality, put off idolatry as it comes. He talks about all those things. And in our, our culture today, we get all Twitter-pated about that stuff. But God really wants us to have influence. We're like, oh, that, I don't know if that's the love of God. God just accepts me how I am. He, he does accept you how you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He accepted you in the beloved so that his life could start to flow through you, that you could be washed and cleansed and transformed and very influential and become a light to those who are groping and struggling in darkness. They're wondering even who they are and what, what happens and the confusion's getting more and more. The dark is getting darker and God says at some point the light has got to get lighter. That's right. Right? So I, I, I wander a little bit. So when we get to chapter 4, which we did the other, uh, other day, he begins to talk to us. He's told us what Jesus did for us. Now he talks to us about the church now and how they live out what Jesus has done for them, how we can begin to live this out in such a dynamic way. And so when we looked at, you know, just uh, beginning in chapter 4, 1 through 16, we'll just go over this really quick. He really speaks of the unity of the body, the unity of the body. So he knows, uh, Paul knows this, he understands for everything that God has done for us individually, outside of the body, we become much less effective connected to the body. Now again, when I say outside the body, I'm talking about just Lone Ranger, we're connected to the body, we go outside of the four walls, we go outside to reach people who are outside, but he said there's something about the unity of the body that causes growth and causes strength of the body. And so he talks about the grace of the body, that we have that grace. And then he talks about there's, according to the gift of grace, we move into that. And then he, he tells us the grounds of that unity, really how we bring it. There's one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope of our calling, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. Right? 
And so, again, we've talked about that, that one baptism. People are saying, well, then why do we baptize in water? We see three baptisms in Scripture, but what Paul is talking about here is your immersion by the Holy Spirit into Christ. There's only one way into Christ. You're baptized through believing in Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, that when you believe in that, you're buried with Him in baptism, raised with Him to a newness of life. You're immersed into the body of Christ. We have outward baptism. It's who's doing the baptizing, right? The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. Christ baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. And man baptizes us in water. So you say, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. It says one baptism. But we see three baptisms in the scripture. He's trying to explain to them the baptism into Jesus Christ. Third, he gives us the gifts for unity, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come into the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, right, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he gave gifts into the body. That's looked at in a number of different ways. We don't have time to go into that right now in depth. But really, if you begin to study it out, uh, even at that time, people want to just say there's all five different gifts and they got to move in the body, and they may to some degree. But really, at this point, when you study it out, really, the, the prophets were traveling ministers. There wasn't a prophet in every house of God at that time. Many of the apostles were pastors until they raised up pastor teachers to teach and to grow the body in the body of Christ. And so, and again, the definition of an apostle in that day, I'm not saying there's not apostles today, so don't anybody get mad at me. I said there's a number of different ways, but when you study it out, an apostle, and even Paul said, wait, am I not an apostle? Because they were looking at who was and who wasn't. An apostle had to have seen Jesus, been around and see him live, see him die, see him in his resurrected state. And be sent out to proclaim that. That's what made you an apostle right then in that time. Right? So when they were questioning Paul, Paul said, I saw him walk. I saw him die. I saw him raised from the dead. And he came to me as the resurrected Christ, the light on the road to Damascus, and called me. Right? And so we have observed those things. There are apostles and prophets today. Evangelists, again, they, they many times were traveling around causing people to understand the goodness of God. As Philip the evangelist went into a city, preached Christ, signs, wonders, and miracles were wrought, and the whole city came to Jesus Christ, right? And so uh, uh, they, were, they were moving around. But after the evangelist went in, guess who went in to follow up on that? Peter and John went down there, right? And then he got them filled with the Holy Ghost, so they were all working together for the edification of the body of Christ, right? So he gave gifts for that unity of the body of Christ and really then the growth of that unity, which creates maturity, he, that, that gift that gives us growth in unity, right? So every member is a part of that. They receive the word. They, we serve one another, which creates the growth of the body. We, uh, uh, there's a stability as we grow in that one to another, there's a stability that we're not tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. There's a stable aspect to what those gifts bring. There's a place where the truth is known. We're, we're brought to that place of truth and, and it joins us together as we speak the truth in love. In love. Praise the Lord. And then there's that cooperation. That spirit of cooperation. Every 
joint supplying, each part doing its share, creates growth of the body in love. So there's these dynamics of unity that he's talking about that bring us to that place, really, uh, to understand the dynamics of a local church body and its growth. And, And Paul is telling us that, you know what, in Christ we belong to each other. We belong to each other. We're not separate. And we affect each other. We affect each other. Sometimes you just have to be maybe a, a, a pastor or a leader, but you start to hear and to know how people uh, affect each other when people will come and say, well, let me just tell you what I think your church stands for based on a person that I've seen and how they act. Well, it affects everybody that's associated together. I know we think, well, what I do just affects me, and it's only my business, but we affect each other because we belong to him, and if we belong to him, we belong to each other, and we need each other. Amen. We need each other. Amen. You know, on Serve Sunday, we put up that slogan, if you want to call it that, but uh, I believe it's very, it, it'll help us understand, on your worst day, you need the church, which most people understand that on their worst day. Like they're coming and going, man, I need, I need financial help. I need emotional help. I need prayer. I'm sick. I need the church. I need prayer. I need unity. But the other half of that is on your best day, the church needs you. Come on. on your best day, somebody's having their worst day, and they need you, right? And the, church, the world needs to see the church on its best day so we can reach out. That there's a culture that, that really begins to emphasize and note. So as we look at this, we see that Paul is always emphasizing. We talked about this this morning, and so I don't have to go into it very much, but um, he emphasizes love. It's like love is the heartbeat, and it pumps love through the whole circulatory, the life that it gives through the whole circulatory system. He says we forbear one another in love. We speak the truth in love. We edify the body, each other, in love. It all gets processed through this understanding of the love of God. Amen? So let's pick up here in verse 17. Verse 17. He continues, he's just told us this about the unity of the body. And now I believe he's going to say something that if we understand the unity of the body, how we belong to one another, we affect one another, we need one another, that we're going to live differently. And why is that important? It's important because he begins to show us that there's a culture or a kingdom that we live by. And and, and if we really begin to understand this and take it seriously, not again from works, but by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit of God, we begin to develop a, a culture whereby the kingdom of God, we're unified together, we're growing together. We understand that because we're going to reach out to the world. I don't know if you know this or not, but the world has a totally different culture from the kingdom of God. And so if we can draw people into a culture of the kingdom, a culture of unity, a culture of understanding, then they are immediately we can reach out and, and they can see a difference. They can see a reason for change. 
But if we draw them into a culture that looks very much like the world, there's disturbance, there's strife, there's uh, people striving for their way and, and not another way. We're not caring for one another. We're not uh, participating together. We don't show that really uh, we love one another. And so we belong to his culture because we love one another. Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples, that you're following me, that you're moving with me because you love one another. You're unified with one another. And so when the world's brought into a culture of true love, it begins to affect change in their lives. And so Paul begins to talk to us about this difference of life so that there will be a different culture. The church shouldn't always be trying to figure out the culture of the world and be more like the world so we can draw them so they feel comfortable. It's not really the goal of that. They're not really comfortable where they're at. They want something different, but they want something genuine. And so Ephesians chapter four, verse 17. He said, this I say, therefore, in other words, because of all these other things I've said, now I'm going to say something else and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. In the futility of their mind. Wow, he said, don't be like them and don't think like them. Don't think like them. In the morning, we're talking about mindsets and how mindsets work. And so he's admonishing us that there's something more to understanding and our thought processes. And he said, they think one way and it separates them, puts them apart. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Paul had to write this as the church was just coming up, and he was explaining differences and, and beginning to encourage the church <clears throat> concerning its newness of life. Verse 19, there's much before this, but verse 19, he says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power, uh, his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. A lot of people are making excuses as to why they don't want to hang out with God. But when you look around, in the end, there will be no excuse. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile or useless or vain in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Birds, four-footed animals, they got into idolatry. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever." For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, 
For even their women exchanged natural use of what is against nature, and the men likewise. And, and, and he goes on to talk about the lust. And he says, this is all because of their vain thinking, thinking they're smarter than God, knowing God created everything, looking around and knowing there is God, but determining that they're smarter and wiser. And so God said, if you think you're smarter and wiser, then, then you're going to go this direction. And it caused them to fall into all kinds of futile uh, uh, works that we even see in our culture today. People think they know everything, and they begin to worship the creature rather than the creator. Their, their lusts, their desires are going in inordinate ways that are against creation, yet they're saying, I was created by God this way, and it becomes abominable to God. So he says, don't get caught up in thinking this way. It doesn't just start with people just going, you know what? I'm just going to be uh, uh, against God. No, there's a form of thinking. There becomes a mindset. And, and Paul says, listen, you were all once of the world. Maybe all of you in here, maybe you were made raised in church, but the people he's talking to, Jesus has just come, raised from the dead, the church is just starting. Many of them came out of this, and he said, now, don't walk like you used to walk in the futility of your mind, like the rest of the Gentiles. They're caught in this flow that I was talking about that is dictated to by the prince of the power of the air. He's the one working in and through the sons or the offspring of Adam's disobedience, but now you've yielded to obedience to Christ, and now your whole thinking has to change, and come in line with obedience to Christ and how you are a new creation in him. So don't allow your understanding to become darkened because God wants to shine the light, reveal things to you. He wants to reveal things of how you're really created, what's available, how you're in him and he's in you. He wants to bring it to light. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 4. So in many situations, things are, in our culture are going a different direction. And we don't think like them. Again, this may be a little diversion. Don't want to throw anybody off. But we need to be purposeful as our thoughts are on God. And we understand how God has created us. And, and, and understand that people are caught, caught many times because they're subject to sin in the course of this world, the thinking of the world. And the world, because of its thinking, is confusing people. It's confusing our young people. We need to pray. We need to stand against this. But we cannot become hateful towards people. So begin to watch in some of this gender misunderstanding and some people who are now very much advocates and telling the truth concerning it were caught up in it. And they came to know Jesus in the midst of it. And they came to know the love of Christ. Not a finger pointing in their face. They came to know the love of Christ. And through enveloping themselves, again, bringing everything that they've experienced through a mindset of the love of Christ, they realized, I've made a mistake. I wasn't created this way. 
It all started to activate because of things that had happened to me, people who didn't love me, wrong things, and I got very confused by the battering of the world and the hatefulness and, and, and the experiences and the brokenness of my life. And so I just went with that flow and did things to my own body that right now through the love of Christ I see was wrong and repented. And they're teaching people from that area of the love of Christ. And so that we know that it's wrong, we can't just get in the same kind of uh, embattled thinking. We're just going to fight against you. We have to learn through the love of God how we stand for what is truly right and just and holy, but understand there are wicked people who are leading people astray, but there's many people who are caught. Their minds are darkened. They cannot see, and the enemy's doing that. So right here, Paul tells the Corinthian church, he said, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Man, now listen, when the light of the glorious gospel shines on a darkened mind and the image of Jesus, who is the glory and the image of the Father, what does it do? It shines on them. Not to just go, oh, this is who Jesus is. There's a revelation of that. But in the revelation of who Jesus is, there is a reflection of who he's created you to be. And when the light of the glorious gospel shines on you, it enlightens, it illuminates not just him, but who God created you to be. And so he said, if we don't think like them, we are the ones who bring the image or the light of that new creation. And when people can see that, it begins to work against the deception and the darkness that the enemy would try to bring to them. Verse 20 uh, of Ephesians chapter 4. So in 18, he says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him, have been taught by him, and as the truth is in Jesus, you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which goes corrupt according to deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So he's saying, I've told you everything that Christ has done for you. I've told you that God has given you all the graces and all the power and all the grounding that you need for unity to become a body. And he said, now as Christ's body, you cannot live as if you were still under sin. It's detrimental to you. It's detrimental to the influence of the church. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3. To the Colossian church, he goes into a little bit more detail. Colossians chapter 3, 
starting in verse 5. He says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Again, he's telling that church. He's saying, listen, these things are just, they're prevalent in in the world. Why? Because the world is offspring from Adam's disobedience. See, many times we read this and we, he's talking to the church and we think, well, he's upset with disobedient sons. He's talking about the offspring, the sons of Adam's disobedience. They're dictated to by that. When Adam disobeyed God, he gave it over to the enemy, that authority, and so they're governed by that. He said, but now you've received Christ, so you have the power to put some things off because you're not living amongst them. Your mindset shouldn't be the same as theirs. He said, but now, somebody say now. now, you yourselves are to put off these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there's neither Jew nor Greek, uh, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. So he said there's a process of realizing I don't think like that anymore. I've been born again. So I'm putting off by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm putting off. I'm not making excuse for things. I'm realizing I don't think like that. I don't make excuses. I'm a new creation. So I put off those things by the power of the Holy Spirit, and now I'm about to put on something new, a change, a change of life, right? So if you look at it, you're like, oh my God, here we go again. I got to put off some stuff. I got to work so hard, and then I got to put on something else. No, it's not a work when you understand everything he's done for you. When that mindset of how much God loves you and how much you can love God and what he's done for us, I don't want to live the way I used to live, right? I understand where that's coming from. The enemy's trying to darken my mind once again. He's trying to get me to yield to some things, so he has control through those things over my life. But when I put those off by the power of the Holy Spirit, I recognize and I set those aside and I begin to implement and allow the Spirit of God to produce and to transform things in my life. Now I am realizing I am a new creation. Old things are passed away. Now everything has become new. This is a new person. I'm not the same old person that I used to be. Thank God. Thank God. Some people look back and reminisce about the person they used to be. Man, God's got something far better. If you had a great time and and you were a great person, praise the Lord, but God's ever bringing us to a a, a greater measure from glory to glory, from faith to faith, right? He doesn't want us to settle into just something. He says, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave, so you also must do. That does not sound optional. We can make it optional. Well, I'll forgive them when I decide. He says, no, don't do that. The more time you don't forgive, the more time you give the enemy to create a stronghold. 
But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So he said all these things are important, but without love, they will not create the magnitude, the power that God's created them to have in your life. In other words, if they're just have-tos, it's going to be a struggle. Well, I have to put off this stuff, and I have to look like a good Christian person. Well, if that becomes our mentality, it's going to be a struggle. But when we understand the love of God, he said, put that on. That's the bond that brings it all together, that all the love of God makes it all make sense. As we said this morning, I won't preach this morning's message again. <laughs> Whatever you do, well, where am I at? The bond of perfection. Let uh, the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you also were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Back to Ephesians. Back to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 25, so he gives us some things to actually begin to apply and to implement. He said, now you're putting on a new man, which means you're going to have to put away some things which we already saw and we looked at. He said, therefore, put away lying. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. And so, really, let's just look at this for a second. A lie I read this definition of a lie, I liked it. A lie is a statement that is contrary to fact, spoken with the intent to deceive. So in other words, sometimes people say, you know, what time is it? And I look and I go, oh, it's 11 o'clock. And then, you know, they get somewhere late and they're like, you lied to me. And then I find out my watch was broken. That's not a lie. I didn't intend to deceive you. But if I knew... You needed to be somewhere at 1, and I told you it was 11, so I could get there first <laughs> and get the job. Now I'm lying to you. There's an intent to deceive. And so Paul is saying, put this away, because there's a, a core understanding of lying, that the devil is a liar, and he's the father right. of it. You know, years ago, I was listening to uh, Keith Moore do a teaching on honor, and he said, lying to someone is the most dishonorable thing that you can do to them, that you can do to them. I don't know if you know this or not, but a liar hates to be lied to. When a liar gets lied to, they'll get more mad than just about anybody. Because they know, they feel the dishonor of it. You know, at that period of time, uh, she's not here right now, but my sister-in-law, Sean, if you know Sean, she's a very trusting person. At least she is of me. And so because of that, I, I'm, uh, I'm, at that time, I've, God's changed me a little bit, but I was a huge smart aleck. And because I was a huge smart aleck, man, you could throw, it was like fishing, you could throw a statement out there. And she would bite it and she would reel it in. And so there's just a lot of things that I would say. I said some things that I'm not even going to repeat it because every time I tell that story, it really makes me sound terrible. And it was, it was terrible. Um, it was really bad. 
I had her crying on the phone. Uh, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> anyway, so it just got to be that way. Um, you know, I would tell her something, she'd say, really? And as soon as she said, really, I was like, here's my opportunity to embellish, to draw her in to such a way, and they go, ha, just kidding. Which Proverbs says something about that too, but I won't go into that. And I listened to this message, how dishonorable lying was. And everything in my flesh wanted to say, oh yeah, but you're not lying you're not really lying. You're just joking around. But the Spirit of God kept saying, you are lying. It's dishonorable. And then he said, you know how you, how you cure lying? So I'm listening, and my ears are perking up because the Holy Spirit just said, you are lying. So I'm like, well, we got to fix this. He said, the way that you cure that is when you catch yourself in a lie to somebody, you look them right in the eye, and you tell them, excuse me, sorry, I just lied to you. That will start to mess you up. <laughs> so, this was a bad habit. I mean, she had let this go. She had let this go for so long. <laughs> this has gone on so long with us in, in our, our relationship, you know, like big brother, sister. I, I was just mess with her. That I had to start, I would just throw it out there. She would grab it, and I would have to stop in the middle of so much fun. Um, <laughs> And stop as she's going, really, really? And go, I just got to tell you, I just lied to you. And I'm telling you, even in that, it's just like, I don't do that to her anymore. It's horrible when you realize, wow, stopping and telling somebody, I just, honor, dis, I just dishonored you by not telling you the truth. Why? Because we build one another up and we grow the body by speaking the truth in love. We don't realize how affected our faith is when we take casually lying. Because if you can't believe what you say, your faith becomes ineffective because faith is all predicated on believing in your heart what you say. So Paul says you got to put away lying. You have to speak truth with one another because that's how we're going to edify. That's where trust is going to be really built and not, not for your own benefit when you do something wrong and your own uh, feeling of discomfort if you tell the truth. He said, the way we're going to build trust, not protecting ourselves, but yielding, the way we're going to learn and understand how to trust one another is not to, to shade it and to deceive one another, but to speak the truth in love. He's bringing it around to how are we different than the world. We don't have to hide everything. We don't have to, uh, we can admit, we can repent, we can forgive, we can walk in the fullness. We can get past what we feel like we need to lie about because we're growing in the things of God. Are y'all still with me? Praise the Lord. So he says you need to not lie, uh, speak truth with your neighbor because you're members of one another. You're members of one another. We belong to each other. We affect each other. We need each other. We don't want to be 
associated with the devil, find ourselves just for our own protection lying to each other. Praise the Lord. Are y'all still here? Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. I want to uh, read this quote that I found. Um, and for the sake of time, we have to move here. Uh, Aristotle said this. It sounds so smart, but I just found it in a book, so I wasn't really studying Aristotle or anything like that. <laughs> but when you quote Aristotle, it sounds pretty cool. Um, he said, anyone can become angry, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, this is not easy. So we like to think, well, it says I can be angry as long as I don't sin. Well, we're pretty much better to just work on our anger. Because an outburst of anger, outburst of wrath, is a work of the flesh, not of the spirit. But a soft way turns away wrath. And James says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And how easy is it for us to get angry at one another? And so he said, listen, don't get angry at each other from that place. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't stew over things. Don't hold things against others. As Jesus said, don't have anything against anybody. Praise the Lord. He said, don't give place to the devil in this way. He don't give place to them. Let him who stole steal no longer, but let him rather work with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. He said, instead of taking, we should work. God will bless us so we have something to give. We can be a blessing. So we don't uh, take from others. We don't steal. He said, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearer. So he said, listen, uh, how, do we, how do we conduct our words? Again, another message that we can look at. But we know that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. James says, should there be bitter and sweet water coming from the same fountain? That word corrupt means really rotten fruit. Rotten fruit. And so even there in Proverbs, it says life and death are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat the fruit of it, Right? You'll either eat the fruit of death speaking or the fruit of life speaking. He said, don't let the corrupt, the rotten death stuff come out of your mouth any longer. Jesus said, you'll know somebody. You'll know the heart condition by what comes out of their mouth, the fruit that comes out of our mouth. So he said, watch your, the speech. Is it corrupt or is it grace giving? Grace giving. So just think about this for a minute. Praise the Lord. Good lesson for all of us. Again, filtered through a, a mindset of the love of God. But grace, grace has its three, three facets. Grace is uh, uh, the ability of God. What, what you're saying is it helping people, uh, uh, empowering people. 
Grace is the favor, unmerited favor of God. When, when somebody says something, are you releasing by your words favor, uh, uh, even if they don't deserve it? And it's a divine influence upon the heart that has its reflection upon their life. Are you speaking things that the Holy Spirit can work with and really create a different reflection in their life? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which ministers grace. And do not grieve. Don't make sorry the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, with all malice. So he starts with all bitterness, and and many people think that the the things he does after that are a repeat, but they also believe that it it comes, there's something that comes out of bitterness. And so uh, this definition of bitterness, I like it, I believe it'll help us. It says, bitterness refers to a settled hostility that poisons the whole inner man. If somebody does something we don't like and we harbor it against them, it settles in and becomes bitterness. So Hebrews says, be careful lest any root of bitterness rise up because it will defile many. It'll defile many. When you let something not only come in, but you let it settle, settle in you, it becomes a poison. becomes a poison. It's so critical that Paul even said in Colossians, he said, husbands, love your wives and don't become bitter towards them. Because our role is to love them as Christ loved the church. Things are going to happen that if you let settle down on the inside of you, it'll become a poison and a cancer. So how do we live? He, he gives us all that stuff, but he says there's a different kind of culture. He comes back to that unity and that understanding. Verse 32, be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Praise the Lord. So Paul is just telling us through his letter to the church at Ephesus, God did so these amazing things for us in Christ. And we can know that, but he says, we get to live them out. We get to unify as his body. We get to set a whole new culture for our personal lives and together that's different than the culture of the world so that we can begin to really show, as he gets into, how children of God imitate their Father so that people can get to know Him even better. Amen? Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank You. We praise You. We magnify You. We thank You for Your Word. We open our hearts to it as it is in truth, not the Word of men, but the Word of God, the holy written Word of God. That it brings to us the knowledge of truth. We ask the Holy Spirit to take these things as we meditate on them. Help us to learn of them. That they might become life to us. This living word translated into our day-to-day life. Not simply something we've looked at. Something we're going to try to do. But we allow you to make it alive in us. That it would be life to us that we would live it out every single day. And in that, live with awareness. Be light 
be salt to those around us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Say so as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.